This is an ABC podcast. Before we get started, a quick note. There's some salty language in this episode. All of a sudden we started realising our name's a little bit like calling yourself Death to America. I told everybody to go get fucked. Even if I do think that band name is fucking slightly geeky, it's our story. Unfortunately, it was also co-opted by those people that flew into the World Trade Center. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. Welcome to Days Like These. Years earlier, in a suburban lounge room in Wellington, New Zealand, a couple of heavy metal-obsessed teenagers fired up a VHS tape of the David Lynch film, Dune. Two mates, John Toogood and Tom Larkin, were drawn into the movie's epic jihad battle, which they misheard at the time as she had. And with that, they'd found their band name, a spur-of-the-moment decision that would tie their fate to forces way beyond their control. We were total dweebs at school, you know, total dweebs. All we wanted to do was play music. And we had been, you know, these protected mummies boys from Wellington, New Zealand, thought, wow, what a fucking cool name for a speed metal band. In the early days, Shehad goes from strength to strength. They put out albums, start touring the world. The name sticks. But then, just as they decide it's time to take on the American market... I was just standing here watching the World Trade Center after the first plane hit. I just saw a second plane come in from the south and hit the south tower. It's got to be a, a terrorist attack. I can't tell you. I'm in a hotel room. It's this beige fucking compound where everybody who wants to be somebody but isn't yet goes and, and lives with Tom going, fuck, turn on the television. World War III started. <laughs> that was his words. Tom's always good for fucking pumping up a story. So, uh, but it did. I mean, I turned on the TV and the second plane hit just as I turned it on. And all I remember was thinking, I want to get out of this country. Make no mistake. The United States will hunt down and punish those responsible for these cowardly acts. And so it was like, we fought for 15 years to release a record in America. I'm not going to see that slip through my fingers because of the name we'd chosen one night when we watched June. Pacifier was our biggest single on the album beforehand. To us, it was like tongue-in-cheek, here's the fucking name change, Pacifier to make you fuck off, but it's a fucking terrible name for a band. Pacifier, what is it, a dummy? People felt that strongly about us changing our name, especially because of what transpired in the years between them getting America getting hit and them invading Iraq, which for the whole world outside of America was fucking unjustified and a shit move, you know? And so, you know, our name change was perceived as being selling up to that cause. Every show, 
the crowd would be chanting Shihad, 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 just to let us know. And I finally just went to the guys. I remember the exact moment. It was a show in, in Western Australia. We were backstage and the chant, the Shihad chant was just blasting. And I just turned and looked at the guys and I went, I don't give a fuck if we ever get played in America. We should change our name back to Shihad. And everyone went, okay, done. And everyone agreed straight away. Shihad reclaimed their original name. They keep making albums and touring, but they haven't returned to the US since. The band stays tight, but John's marriage falls apart. He cranks his creative output up a notch, tries his hand at theatre work, forms a new musical side project called The Adults. He's busy. And he's partying a lot. Just as I was getting fucking bored of hangovers, I did this talk about song composition. And then afterwards, it was an after party. I was hanging out with models and doing the thing and just thinking, I'm really tired, actually. I'm really tired of this. And in walks this, you know, beautiful human being, and her name's Dana. She had a headscarf on. So I thought she might be Muslim, but I didn't know. I couldn't work out where she was from, but I, all I knew was it was only me and her in that bar, even though it was fucking full. And it was one of those moments in your life where you just go, oh, there you are. We're the adults and we're going to play you a song that originated in Khartoum, Sudan, and it's called Boomtown. She told me she was from Sudan. She was a diplomat's daughter, so she'd lived, she'd been schooled in Finland, Virginia, America, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia. And straight away, I just knew that I could fucking be myself around this human being. It was just one of those moments. Yeah, I, I just remember thinking, I have never seen a human being that looks as beautiful as you. And it wasn't just a physical thing. There was a fucking energy with Dana. She assumes the best in other people. Even, like she, she, you know, she told me a story of, you know, she's a chiropractor. She um, had to, you know, work on a, a guy that had infidel tattered on his back, who was part of Reclaim Australia, who was an ex-military who'd served in Somalia, hated Muslims. She assumed the best in him, and by the end of it, they were talking, and he was, like, having to question some of his beliefs. That's the power of Dana. Even though in my songs I was talking about empathy and humanity and how we were all the same and we should help each other out, I felt I didn't have the luxury of being able to be as charitable as I wanted to be. Like a lot of my struggling sort of artist friends, we talked the big game. We were these atheists, staunch atheists, we don't need God to tell us that we should treat other people good. We talked that game, but we didn't really walk it. Along comes this Sudanese student who has fucking no money. The first few times we go out, she's like literally giving all her money to anyone who's in need. But that's your last $10. No, it doesn't matter. It comes from Allah. Without fail, two hours later, she would be getting a free meal somewhere or someone would come in and say, here's 50 bucks. It was like magic watching it happen. That's crazy shit. But I started trying it and it started working. <laughs> and people who don't believe in God will say, that's just coincidence. I can fucking tell you it's not coincidence. The second time we meet, I do end up back at her house. And she has to pray, because it's prayer time. 
I'm still a, a staunch atheist. Staunch atheist. I remember watching her and I watched the peace that was emanating off her and I was like, I remember what that felt like when I practiced transcendental meditation regularly. But at the same time, it's like, whoa, that's weird because I was under the impression that all people who believed in religion were suckers. I have to fucking question my whole belief system here. I remember I said to her, so you're telling me that if I want to marry you, which she was very taken aback by, I have to convert to Islam? And she went, well, yeah. And I was like, fuck that. Why don't you convert to what I believe? And I packed a big fucking rock star tanty and <laughs> made a point of pointing out how unfair that was. But all the time thinking, I've got to find a way of marrying this person because I'm not going to lose my best friend. And I remember before my dad passed away, he saw me when I was like struggling with this. Like, what's the deal? And I was like, she's Muslim. He, he was like, it doesn't matter. Love will find a way. And I remember him saying that. And it was like, yeah, but how? And he said, just give it time. We'd have these fucking huge, long existential talks. She'd point at a tree and say, how can you tell me there's no God? And I'd point at the same tree and say, how can you tell me there's a God? We were that polar opposite in our belief systems. But the crossover was in the way she behaved. She embodied all these things that I believed in. Being charitable, being you know, kind to other people, you know, bringing people up rather than bringing people down. I had to fucking look into it. We'd go and talk to her family members or more sort of maybe modern converts. I'd have to like bite my tongue a lot of times like, angels don't exist. But yet, if we pan out of the details, I could vibe with it. Like, okay, so the idea of Allah not actually being a human thing, Allah's so big it's out of time. I do see the unity as an atheist, I see the unity in the universe. I mean, I've taken lots of acid, but I can only see it when I'm on drugs like that. So watching someone in action believe in it, it's like, oh my gosh, it permeates every fibre of her being. And there was something beautiful about it, because she was beautiful to me. So therefore, it was her that made me go, there's got to be something to this. So I'm going to take a leap of faith here, and I'm going to just dive right in. I said my shahada and I converted to Islam. And it was in Melbourne, it was just up the road from here. And I just remember just watching Dinah crying because she knew, by me doing that, she knew how much I really loved her. I didn't want to make it public because I didn't want to become a poster boy. I don't want it to be part of Shihad's brand or anything like that. So I keep it to myself. We were approached by um, a big New Zealand newspaper to tell our love story and that would involve obviously mentioning my conversion because I had to tell that story. I mean, it was a big part of the story. We'd even done the interview, but then oh, a terrorist attack happened. We can see live pictures here from Martin Place. Uh, we can see some uh, heavily armed policemen and flashes of gunfire. It does appear, although these are unconfirmed reports, that police are um, making an attempt to shoot fire into the Lent Cafe and potentially resolve this situation. We can All see of a sudden, woman there. 
anyone who believed in Islam was a bad guy again or we were, you know, were just angry and blah, blah, blah and uh, why do you hate us so much and, you know. And I just went, no, I'm, I don't want to be part of this argument. You know, I don't want to be. And so we, we got the newspaper to pull that story. I didn't want to be having to defend my decision. And it gets fucking tiring having to answer that question every time when you know that that's wrong, what that person did. And people saying, you're not saying anything about it. Your silence is complicit. You know, it's like, well, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So John stays quiet. It's only his friends and family that know about his conversion. He and Dana are living in Melbourne now with their young family. John's still touring and recording with Shihad and the adults. And around this time, he also writes a thesis on the Sudanese culture that he'd married into, and he starts teaching. So on the 15th of March, 2019, John's in a classroom when the news comes through. Some 300 people inside the Majid Al-Mor mosque at 1.40 this afternoon when a gunman went in and started shooting New Zealand police. I was teaching on the day of the mosque shooting and... Uh, in between classes, I checked the news one day and it, it, I saw come up on my newsfeed, there's been a shooting at a mosque in Christchurch. There was no figures at that point, no, no mention of people dying, but it looked pretty dire straight away. I just remember being very concerned and then putting my phone away and turning it off for a couple of hours while I did a, a class. And then I turned it back on and, yes, more details about this guy who'd walked into a a mosque with fucking cameras strapped on and loaded guns and killing innocent women and children as well as men praying the most peaceful thing you can possibly do I just remember being so violently sad and angry and extremely angry that that poison had finally seeped down into that country that I grew up in, that I loved and had finally There was nowhere left on the planet where awful shit didn't happen. The day after that happened, we were in Melbourne, in the place called Benevolence, where I converted. They opened their doors, and it was just like, there was Christians and atheists and lots of Muslims and a couple of rabbis there and just everybody. And they were all in the same boat, just going, oh, we don't want to live in a world where that happens. And that guy was an Australian. This poor woman who was from the local church just stood up and she was in tears going, I'm so ashamed that he was one of us. I really felt for her, but I remember thinking, now you know what it feels like. Every time ISIS go and kill somebody and you turn to us and go, why did you do this? At that point, I thought, okay, finally, this is the environment. If people are starting to realise, oh, that's what it's like on the other side of the fence, and all of a sudden Muslims are humanised, I thought, okay, cool. Now, if there's ever going to be a time to fucking talk about my conversion, it's going to be now. Someone I trusted, someone I knew was intelligent, someone I knew who would be true to what I said, approached me about doing an interview, about how my stand or how I saw it, and my conversion and the fact that I am a Muslim. I've got to get it out there. I mean, I knew there were going to be some Shihad fans that were going to like go, what the fuck? But I also knew that there was going to be a time where people were more open to hearing that information. That time was then. So the story about John's conversion is finally published. 
And then, about a month after the shooting at the mosque, she had a chosen to headline a fundraiser at Christchurch Stadium called You Are Us. They're playing alongside other big acts like Lord and Marlon Williams. I knew I wasn't needed until 5pm that night and uh, it was all going to be televised live so I was fucking freaking out. But the one thing I wanted to do is I wanted to go to the Al-Noor Mosque to pay my respects and as I'm coming up to Al-Noor Mosque, I just see this wall of colour and it's just like flowers and out the front I met people from England, people from Malaysia who had come, you know, just to see this place, you know, to become a sort of pilgrimage place, you know, like for Muslims all around the world, like to say you're not alone, you know, we're here with you and two armed police officers out front, one female, one male, and the female, out of respect, was wearing a headscarf. They greeted me there because the people at the mosque knew who I was. They knew from the fact that that story had come out that I was Muslim. The people from the mosque took me right to the front of the masjid, the mosque. It's a big sign of respect to be taken to the front of the mosque to pray because that's the closer you are to the front, the closer you are to God. Part of the prayer is a movement called sujood, where you touch your head to the ground. And it wasn't till I did that I realised this floor is covered in cardboard. And the reason it's covered in cardboard is because underneath it's just blood. 51 people had been murdered in this room. And it was at that point I burst into tears. And I just cried through the... I managed to keep going through the prayer. I was just overcome with the grief of being in that room. I'd gone there to offer my support, to wrap my arms around them, and they ended up consoling me. Kia ora, New Zealand. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Welcome to a very special live broadcast from the You Are Us Hanui concert here in Christchurch. We are sending. There is like pretty much everybody who's anybody who's had any sort of success or any sort of songs that have reached people in New Zealand music history are at this concert. And um, there's a totally different vibe than a normal festival because it's not about the bands trying to outdo each other. This is not about us. This is not even about so much about the audience. This is about the people from the mosque, you know, like this is about this community. We're here to make sure that those people who were affected knew that we were on their side. Hey, I've got to say, just quickly, that looked amazing from up here, thank you! Tom refocused me and said, what are you going to say? He was like, I haven't even thought about that. Okay, we're going to play Pacifier, which is a song of sort of hope and strength, and then we're going to finish with Home Again. And Home Again's a song about home. And it was the thing that came to me, and it was like, I think I said... Home is not a place. Home is not a place. It's the people that make home, okay? So be good to each other. Always look out for each other. This song is called Home Again. Everybody, let's jump. It was one of the best concerts I've ever played. It was like on stage, you could see, this is the world we want to live in. And we go, right, we're here to say that's not us. What's happening here? This is us. I just wanted to to make sure that it wasn't about me being on stage, it was about everybody in that fucking stadium realising that that's not the world we want to live in, what happened at Al Noor Mosque. People who are trying to separate us, it's all a fucking farce, it's not real. I know from first-hand experience that one of the best humans I've ever met happened to be Muslim. So that proves your theory of Muslims being angry and insular 
completely wrong. I know it for a fact. I've lived it. I've lived it. Thanks to our reporter, Sam Wicks, for that story, and to John Toogood for sharing it. You can subscribe to Days Like These in the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. If there's a story you want us to hear, please share it with us. You can send us an email or a voice memo to dayslikethese at abc.net.au. Next time on Days Like These... What happens when a family member falls down a conspiracy theory rabbit hole? September 11, that was an inside job. London bombings. All those people who died, they were played by actors. The royal family are all dead and they're all being played by actors. Michelle Obama is a man. Melinda Gates is dead and is being played by an actor. And I said to her, Mum, I've worked in the media for a decade and no one has once told me to write what I write. And she said, that's not true. And the reason I'm lying to her is that I know that I'll be killed if I write the truth. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Kulas. Our lead reporter is Pat Abud. Our season one reporting team includes Alex Lolbach, Sam Wicks and Monique Bowley. Our researcher is Tamar Cranswick. The supervising producer for this story was Ian Walker. Sound design on this episode by Russell Stapleton. Finally, a huge thanks to our incredible executive producers, Rachel Fountain and Ian Walker. Our theme music is Yeah Nah by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. Extra music by Russell Stapleton. See you next time. Hey, Sam Wicks here, one of the reporters at Days Like These. If you've been loving all this rock star chat this episode, maybe we've whet your appetite for a podcast that really does rock. Why not get your hands on Double J's podcast, Inside the Big Day Out? But don't just take my word for it. Did you know Australia once had the biggest touring music festival in the world? Every summer for over two decades, The Big Day Out was headlined by some of the biggest names in music. The noise coming back from the audience was something I hadn't heard for a while. It was one of those things where you turn around and look at each other sort of going, holy shit. For the fans, it was a day out in the sun with mates and mind-blowing music. For the people who created it, it was a wild ride of legendary lineups and backstage shenanigans. 
And then it all fell apart. It had to be stopped because it couldn't keep going the way it was going. Inside the Big Day Out takes you backstage, on stage and out into the mosh. Look at all the beautiful faces. You'll meet the characters who kept this juggernaut rolling. I'm calling for help. Like, I'm on the radio going, hey, we've got a problem. And find out what really went down on tour. There are people in trees, there are people running on roofs, there's some guy in the nude who's up on the beer tent running along and there's cops trying to get him down, they're trying to close down the bar. Double J's Inside the Big Day Out. Hear it now on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.